Welcome to Uncharted, The Road to Recovery, an FRP podcast hosted by me, Rebecca Byrne Callender. In this seven-part series, we speak to experts and business leaders from across the UK to identify and analyse the issues facing the UK business community in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic. This week, we are talking about mergers and acquisitions. It's clear that the world has been changed forever by COVID-19 and that neither business nor society intends to go back to old models quickly. So where does this leave M&A activity? In this episode, we'll explore in what manner funders and investment-hungry businesses will return to the market over the next year. We'll consider future routes to finding a buyer as well as approaches to negotiation and remote due diligence. I'm joined today by three M&A experts who are watching this market very closely. Dowie Hughes joins us from private equity specialist LDC, heading up the Southwest and Wales region. From FRP, I'm delighted to welcome Mark Norton, a corporate finance partner from the Bristol office, and Adrian Alexander, partner in FRP's corporate finance team in Brighton. Thank you all so much for joining me. Can we talk a little about which sectors are are proving particularly buoyant or where perhaps there's activity simply because there's a few distress sales happening. Um, can I come to you, Adrian? What are you seeing in terms of sector-specific activity? The, the sectors are probably obvious to, to people, those that have, have been re- sort of robust and resilient um, during, the, uh, during the crisis. So he- healthcare, logistics, some manufacturing, uh, which, is, which is held up. Um, anybody supplying PPE uh, with the obvious ones and there's some, some people and some businesses online retail doing really well and some, some spectacular results in that sector. Um, so they're probably the, the sectors you would, you would expect. Um, and, and as a result, a lot of those um, companies in those sectors uh, are now thinking about doing M&A transactions and maybe taking the opportunity to use the, the cash they've generated to, to look for deals. Dawa, you're you're at the sharp end with this doing deal. So which sectors have you seen more of and and which are really struggling to do any kind of deals? So we have seen a continuation of a number of deals, uh, particularly in those more resilient sectors, such as technology and healthcare businesses, as uh, as Adrian was sort of mentioning as well. I mean, indeed, we like to see the likes of technology and e-commerce businesses as being key drivers of momentum in the coming weeks and months. So, I mean, for example, LDC backed e-commerce fulfillment specialist James and James in March of this year. And actually, as lockdowns led to many people shopping online, its clients have seen an increase in orders, meaning James and James have been able to continue to operate at full steam. And actually, in, in May, they've signed a 10-year lease on a new 600,000 square foot distribution site, uh, which will increase operational efficiencies and create further employment. So, um, and, and that just makes it a prime example of a business which is targeted growth despite wider economic uncertainty. I guess sort of more, you know, more, more generally, we've, you know, whilst, whilst we did see activity grind to a bit of a halt uh, for a large proportion of the deals, what, when sort of COVID kicked off or just before sort of COVID, sort of the lockdown kicked off in particular, um, and that's obviously because of, you know, a, a combination of significant uncertainty in the market, but also the fact that many of the businesses in question are would be just adversely impacted, um, particularly in the short term. Um, and so, you know, what 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 we have been there for sort of prioritizing our focus really as a as a sort of private equity house is those businesses that we can still transact in. I mean, we have, you know, during the first half year we've invested in um, we've made 18 investments 
Um, and um, the majority of those have been completed since uh, lockdown, actually. Um, and, and a number of those, and I'm sure we'll come on to talk about this, is buy and, our buy and build, our acquisitions by our portfolio businesses. Um, and, you know, pro- probably, a, you know, note of optimism really is that, you know, similar to what Mark was saying, we do sense that things are sort of returning and clearly not to not to sort of pre COVID levels quite yet, but nonetheless, sort of some returning. And, you know, we are, we are, you know, we are, you know, it's, it's a very difficult market, but nonetheless, you know, there are deals that are happening. And we are also seeing some of the deals that went on hold actually starting to come back. And I think that's partly the confidence that you can actually get deals away now. Um, and I think advisors are thinking that is the case. And can we talk a bit about the deal types? Because, I mean, are we talking mainly distressed deals? Are we talking management um, doing buyouts because they, they've got an opportunity now to take the reins? What are the deals that are really coming to the fore at the moment? Um, Mark, I might bring you in here. What are you seeing? It's a fair point. I think there is a lot of distressed deals out there at the mo- at the moment. And the, in certainly in the sectors that uh, you know are, are really suffering the the, the, the most from uh, COVID nineteen, so you know hospitality, leisure, uh, casual dining, and and those are well publicised, and I, I suspect that uh, that will continue to be the case. But I think what's more encouraging, or is is actually M and A activity in the good sense in that actually owner managers are now thinking about exiting and, and realizing the value of their businesses because they can see some positive light at the end of the tunnel. More traditional private equity investors are hungry, probably more so than ever, actually, in terms of the the, the, the amount of money and, and firepower that, that private equity and debt providers have in the market at the moment is is unsurpassed but there's there's a paucity of of deals for them to do so ironically it's if you're in a good sector and you've got a great business in that sector it's actually not a bad time to start thinking about you know realizing your value because actually that the scarcity of the asset the competitive tension for those assets is pushing prices up so i wouldn't say that's across the board not not at all but those businesses that have Proved themselves to be more robust are certainly attracting that that sort of level of attention. I'd love to explore that a bit. Um, Dowie, are you seeing that it's a it's a seller's market? Are there select few that are really thriving? Are they able to command quite significant prices? Yeah, I think um, across the board it probably isn't a seller's market in in reality, um, mm. given the climate. However, I think it does go back to this sort of um, you know the deals that are continuing at the moment, which are in the sort of the more resilient category and i think if you can sort of prove out that the business has been resilient um over the recent times that actually goes a long way to providing a lot of sort of comfort around the sort of the the longer term future particularly as we don't really know what's going to happen and therefore what what is happening is to mark's point there is a lot of then competition for those high quality resilient assets and that's both from p and trade in our sort of recent experience on that and and what we are seeing is actually you know pretty full prices uh, in the in the in the in the market despite despite what was going on in the sort of wide environment so yeah there is there is a um, for particular sellers you know it is a really good good time to be doing a deal 
Um, Adrian, I'd love to bring you in here because if if there are business owners are listening, what advice are you giving um, the people who are running the successful companies that that have been able to be resilient about the kind of funders they should be looking at, about the kind of deals they could be doing or should be looking for? What, what's been broadly the advice that you're giving those entrepreneurs? As you'd expect, it depends on, on on the sector and the position of those companies. So you've got the ones that we that Mark and Darry have talked about, which have been really resilient through through COVID, and and probably should start a sell process and consider a set a process and actually going to market. You know, in the in the short term, I think you've got a category of businesses that have, were doing really well leading up to to the lockdown have had a dip, and clearly they're you know we're hoping it's all hoping it's going to be a v-shaped um, recovery and those businesses now and i've got a number of companies i'm looking at and you can see the see the, the turnover and profits returning so those those businesses can start discussions with, with with trade buyers and um and the whole discussion is around allowing for the the dip so adjusting the uh, maintain of learnings of their business and allowing by and effectively ignoring the covid part of that and Getting buyers comfortable, the businesses have returned have returned to normal. So, and having a normal discussion with trade buyers, I think I think then there's another category um, of business owners who probably they had a treble whammy. So their valuations of the businesses might have suffered potentially, especially if they can't prove it's going to come back quickly. They've uh, and probably their own personal assets um, of, of values have been reduced as well. So quite a lot of them will be feeling pretty sore at the moment and, and really need some sort of guidance as to how they come out and need a real clear strategy of if they want to exit and that may lead into other alternatives what we call alternative exits we uh, one of which might be a two-step exit um, they realize some of the cash now bringing their management team in to run the business with, with them but some of them might just think actually i'll just get out and get take what i can get now and it may be a merger with a competitor uh, and also we're expecting to see employee ownership trusts come more to the fore, fore where um, there's employee ownership is part of the part of the, the their exit plan, um, given that the, there's some very significant t- tax benefits for that for owners exiting that way. So those those, those ones, are, I think it's early discussions. Um, I think the, we will planning that the strategy, but I think it's absolutely imperative now that owners have really sort of start engaging with their advisors and really putting together a clear strategy of how to interact and, and that will depend on the where those businesses in this are in the cycle coming out of covid and Dawei, i saw you nodding there can you build on that advice at all yeah i think i think it's um you know it is a tricky time i think it would be important particularly with a sort of a, a p lens on and i guess even from a sort of a debt provider lens on as well is that you know where where are we talking about businesses which are sort of presented with lots of normalization adjustments that's actually a you know a challenge for us to sort of get comfortable with because what you have to do is to show that you know how how do you show really that normalization has happened and therefore sort of to to provide sort of the level the required level of comfort um, around a particular sort of profit adjustment in there um, and, and clearly you know that 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 is sort of best served through you know additional data and time um, some of which is not is not practical to do but I would just hesitate caution if there are too many normalized adjustments I think the bar will be you know generally high in terms of just you know proving that out Mark, do you agree you're nodding? Is that is that also a concern for you, this normalisation issue? 
Yes, I mean, it, it, it can be both ways. I mean, I, I think key, key as, as Dario was saying and, and Adrian earlier, is preparation and give yourself enough time to prepare properly for what, what you plan to do, whether that's selling a business or even buying a business. You know, if you, if you think actually the, the market is going to present some opportunities for you to acquire businesses going forward, you know, don't jump to the first opportunity that presents itself, you know, properly prepare your, your own business, but also properly prepare for what you're looking to acquire and re- properly research that. And that's where we're helping clients at the moment. So so I do I do think that sort of preparation stage and, and taking your time and, and being quite considered is is really important. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I do think that that uh, businesses have great opportunities uh, going forward if 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 they are properly prepared. But on that point about preparation, Mark, has due diligence changed? Is there a lot more scrutiny? What do companies need to be prepared for? If there are lots of normalisation adjustments, it just makes due diligence a little bit more challenging. And therefore, um, I think what we're seeing is diligence is clearly still being done on transactions and transactions are clearly still happening. So what we found is that, the, that that investors are being a lot more pragmatic about what they need from due diligence and therefore a lot more focused around what they, they want and, and what they need. And therefore, you know, they work much more collaboratively with the target business to get that information so that everybody is is actually moving in the same direction in terms of trying to evidence the, the point or the issue that is that has been sought to get evidence of in due diligence so we have seen a sort of more collaborative approach if that's around due diligence it's not an adversarial point in terms of you know them and us it's actually how do we achieve this together so we are seeing that and i know you know dowie's sort of on the private equity side one of their challenges is spending more time with management who they 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 often back I would say that, that that's probably yeah. more of a challenge for, 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 for the private equity sides. Yeah, I think that's spot on, Mark. I mean, you know, we are, what do we do? We back management teams. Yeah. So, so it's fundamental that we spend the, 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 a meaningful amount of time with management teams during the course of a transaction. Um, because that is fundamentally an, an integral part of our evaluation process. And so whilst, you know, the platforms like teams, uh, Zoom are fantastic for ensuring that we can continue the dialogue and keep the momentum going on a the process. There is no real substitute for the face-to-face element. So actually getting to know the individual that you're back in, um, you know, and them getting to know you as well, because it's all about sort of a relationship-based partnership, um, is 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 incredibly is incredibly important. And that is sort of you know on a formal basis and an informal basis. So the advice is is to slow down, be cautious. But I'd like to come back to Dawi's point about how the, the coronavirus and the social distancing and the, the rise of technology is impacting deal making. Because, you know, air travel, it's extremely limited at the moment. There's quarantine rules coming in and out. What does that mean for cross-border transactions? Because that's that's often a way to scale quite quickly, move into new markets, pick up huge, huge waves of customers in new places. Do we think that's going to slow down quite dramatically? Um, Dawei, I might have that to you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really interesting question um, and one which um, is probably quite difficult to answer at the moment. In truth, I think we are what we are seeing on a couple of deals that we're involved with, certainly, is that there is there is international trade um, 
going on and sort of in, in, in involved in the asset. Um, th- there are there are definitely challenges when you're thinking about sort of selling an international um, business at the moment. Um, I mean, you know, you've only you've just got to look at what's happening with Spain and other jurisdictions where you've got sort of second second waves going on. Um, and we just, you know, we, we are having to monitor on a few businesses that we're sort of looking at. We are having to monitor what is likely to happen across different jurisdictions when you're talking about, you know, inter- properly international businesses. And that's really hard to predict. And that is really hard. And it is hard. You know, we do. We will. Um, or, you know, if, if we've got international sites um, involved um, with these businesses, then, you know, to the extent they are core to the business, we will certainly want to be spending time um, on those sites as well as part of our evaluation. Um, and 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 that is, you know, it, it is possible depending on the on the geography. However, not straightforward and maybe impossible as well. So. It's definitely not. Um, it's definitely something that that is probably slowing international deals down. I would suggest, um, but time will tell, really, in terms of I think the next the next few months and how things really do open up. Right, and I suppose as a counterpoint to that question, I might ask: Do we think that localism is going to play a big part in in deal making towards the end of the year? A company is going to look to try and shore up their supply chain nearby without looking overseas? Is that going to impact the market at all? Mark, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think it's it's related. And 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 I think what we were seeing is, is, is an increased uncertainty around international deals because of Brexit, and that will continue. And companies trying to find alternatives around supply chain, et cetera, where they thought that they couldn't see a solution if there was no deal around Brexit. So I do think that that is going to, it's always there, but it doesn't seem to be on the agenda as high as it might have been. Uh, But I think it it will come back as we head towards, you know, we've got until the end of this calendar year to to, to find a deal or not. So it will become more significant. I think adding to that uh, exposure to particularly to China and the uncertainties that might happen there, and I've certainly been talking to companies that have got, you know, huge exposure in their supply chain uh, in, in China and, and they're talking about taking you know, two or three years to, to find alternative supplies in, 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 in other countries. And, and, and if you can't, if you really need to source quickly, you can't resource that quickly. Acquisitions, buying a company that can, can provide that supply chain for you might be the answer in order to, to get that, that resource into, into your supply chain quicker. So that might have an influence on 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 what, what targets you know companies might go for in the, in, in the M and A market, and that's certainly something that our portfolio been focused on for a period of time. I mean, we have had uncertainty to Mark's point around Brexit uh, for quite a period of time. So actually thinking about sort of the imp- the longer term potential implications of sort of Brexit on our supply chain um, has been an important consideration. And you know, going back to you know the, the early this year, end of last year. Um, you know, we were talking about coronavirus, but, you know, at that point, largely in the context of what the impact could be on our supply chain, because we were still thinking of it as being sort of largely going to be being based in this, in China. Um, and actually, so we we have been sort of working very hard with our portfolio to to make sure that there is robustness in that supply chain, that we do have dual supply when necessary, that that is more local as well. So we are we've been looking at those options and will continue to do so because it is a changing climate. I mean, bringing all these points together, I, I'd like to look at valuation. I know we, we touched on it a little while ago, but I mean, given all the moving parts and just the uncertainty we're looking at, how on earth do you determine the price or the, 
the, the value of a company and and has it changed materially to how it was done before? Um, Adrian, how are you seeing the actual pricing of deals shift? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a very good question. And this, as you say, the six million dollar question, I, th- I think in, in reality, the, 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 a lot of the deals, actually the deal prices, and we already spoke earlier about actually prices could increase in the, re- in the really hot sectors. I think in reality, we've, we've seen examples of where, you know, a deal that was in progress, we heard about the, 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 the multiple you use had come down by one point as a result of the COVID because it had to be completed. Other deals, um, the, 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 the multiple that you use in, in calculating you know, the price has stayed the same. And really, the emphasis is moved to the deal structure. So where something can get comfortable um, you know, and sort of deal with the point that Darry was making earlier about coming out of COVID and the, can he get comfortable on, on, on that, those numbers? And if he can't, you then deal with it by having deferred consideration, maybe maybe more simple, which is dependent on the future results, but more simple KPI-based um, earnouts that can be can be monitored over a much short, shorter period of time, like customer retention or sales coming back, rather than sort of heavy EBITDA-based based earnouts. So, 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 so on the whole, I think there's an acceptance that you know, probably other than the the, the uh, sectors where there's been a car crash that you know multiples will, will hold up, but the, the risk that has to be shared between the, the vendor and the buyer is dealt with through the through the deal structure. Dowie, has that been your experience? I mean, I'm just thinking about biotech companies, for examples, where their valuations have gone through the roof, but it's based on the idea that we're going to face multiple pandemics over the next five to 10 years. But there's a possibility that, I mean, it would be nice to think that that won't happen. So then how do you, how do, I don't know where you begin, really. It's not a straightforward question at all, Bex. <laughs> um, I think, you know, I think um, the, the, we have talked about, as sort of um, Adrian just mentioned now, we have talked about sort of the, the resilient sectors as sort of full pricing happening in those sectors. I mean, the reality is that is there is an element of sort of demand and supply here. Um, and it's all about sort of how, how sought after the, the business um, particularly is. And the reality is we are, we are still early doors, I would say, in terms of sort of COVID. So the deals that we that have been done have largely been in those sort of more resilient sectors. I think the next couple of months will be interesting because, you know, you have got other businesses that are in sectors which have probably been, been impacted a bit, not maybe not hugely, but a bit sort of starting to come to market. And so it'll be interesting to see what what how sort of valuation will work for for those businesses. And that, my sense would be that you know the overall valuation you know, will will nudge down for sort of, you know, obvious reasons. I think where you have got, you know, an incredible business, which is really resilient and 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 we haven't really talked about it. There are a number of businesses which have properly benefited from coronavirus, properly, properly benefited. And there is an interesting debate around normalization the other way around, <laughs> which is actually mm, to say, absolutely. well, if that's not sustainable, should you be reducing the profit profit measures? But, you know, those sort of businesses where, it does look as if for the, for the sort of medium term, they are going to be, you know, doing fantastically well. You know, that th- those are just going to be more and more and more in demand. You know, and there is clearly a, a, a large sort of supply of money out there. I think the other dynamic, you know, linked to the structure point that Adrian mentioned is how the debt providers operate um, over the coming months. I think there's a, you know, there has been an inevitable focus inwardly on the portfolio for a period of time, particularly in the first sort of couple of months of, of COVID and how they respond and how they start 
operating within deals and the sort of quantum they'd be prepared to lend and what pricing will have an influence as well, particularly in sort of P-based transactions. So I think we're just at a really interesting juncture um, whereby, you know, we don't, no one can really answer the question, <laughs> but, but, uh, but, but, um, but I think those are probably the dynamics. I think there's a, there's a rea- reality check as well that vendors are going to have to go through. So um, I kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm probably the starting point for any vendors, they all think their business is worth, worth more than they think it is. And I've probably in my whole entire corporate finance career, I've only twice had to tell uh, somebody that their business was worth, worth more than they thought it was. Um, so, so I think those businesses, companies that you know, shareholders, companies that want to exit in the short term are, are going to go through a bit of a realisation check and probably valuation will come off a little bit for those. Those who actually insist on waiting for the, the, the full value for their businesses, you'll probably find they're going to have to delay that their retirement plans may be. And then, then, of course, have they got an appetite and a plan to, to, to keep their businesses growing, moving forward during that period. So, um, yeah, the vendors, the vendors themselves will play a big big role in in in, the, in that valuation um sort of metric going forward and how they where they see it and in some terms of wanting to get out yeah i'll just pick up a, a couple of points that was mentioned around uh, point around the normalization and actually we're talking to a business where they've actually enjoyed a covid bounce um and where their their profitability has doubled um because of what they do but they recognize that there is a a sort of a temporary spike but actually the whole dynamics of that sector supplying sort of medical equipment uh into into the 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 healthcare sector the the overall level of their market has increased and it will arguably stay main be maintained at a much higher level uh than it was pre-covid so there is a there's a challenge around um, getting true value for that and and where where will it settle down? So I think that that will be quite an interesting uh, debate to be had, and it might be settled by, as we talked about earlier, deal structures and deferred consideration. Um, uh, the other point around um, Dow is mentioning around the debt markets. Uh, what we are seeing, I mean, debt is very cheap at the moment and and that does help pricing in terms of because the funding is is cheaper especially on private equity type deals um and while the sort of the high street banks seem to uh, have been sort of focused quite rightly on their own clients and looking after them we are seeing um you know new debt providers or debt providers that have uh, alternative debt providers that have been around for a long time but they're making it a very aggressive play into the market and trying to actually gain market share um, during this period, so being very supportive on on transactions, which arguably should push or s- at least maintain prices at, 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 at a better level. Um, so, so it's it is a it is, it is a interesting market. To, there's no and value your your point around valuation. Where does it lie? It really is going to be you know a case by case basis. To be honest. All super interesting answers to what is, uh, yeah, I understand a very complex question. Um, I would like to have a little bit of a bird's eye view of, of of the business the business environment. Do we think we are heading for a period of consolidation, or do you think we're heading for more fragmentation um, as 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 perhaps businesses um, focus on core activities? Um, Dowie, what what are you seeing in the marketplace right now, and what are you expecting in future? Our view on this is that there probably is going to be um, a bit of refocus uh, and we do anticipate the large corporates in particular, um, a number of them will have to restructure um, and, 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 and sort of refocus their operations. 
Um, we did. We have seen this in sort of previous cycles. Not that there's anything comparable to COVID, of course. Um, but nonetheless, um, you know, we do think there's probably going to be more opportunity for you know so-called carve-outs, where whereby um, you know the, there is an opportunity to spin a business out, and that could be a sort of a, 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 a private equity sort of management buyout um, situation. And 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 I think there is. I think that sort of general. Uh, uncertainty and have to sort of restructure, including potentially restructuring debt um, for these large groups will will probably drive that. I think the other bit that we are sort of seeing in terms of, um, and maybe on the counter to that point, is that we are sort of, we've been sort of focusing in on our portfolio and sort of working out how we can sort of drive value and accelerate value through this time. And and actually, you know, one of the things that we've been incredibly focused on is um, is buy and build. Um, and, you know, we so we've been sort of, you know, actively looking for opportunities across that portfolio to support them and to provide follow on capital to fund acquisitions. And that that may be just to build scale um, in response to market conditions or maybe to help them sort of evolve the the the, the, the business model. Um, and so, you know, a couple of examples of that, um, you know, one business called Babel, which is a cloud services provider, um, acquired telecoms provider Lake Technologies. Um, and that was to provide further uh, telephony and network services. Um, and, you know, we also backed a um, business called um, Lindley and Simpson, which is an estate agent, um, which we originally invested in back in 2018. Um, and that's business has just announced has completed its 14th acquisition since it's partnered with LDC. And this is all during sort of COVID. And we are incredibly actively focused on this scenario to sort of help accelerate growth within our, within our portfolio. And I think you would probably see that on a sort of a broader basis where there will be a period of, you know, acquisition and consolidation in in particular segments. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think we're, we're probably on balance in, in a going into a period of consolidation because if you throw into the mix distressed deals and distressed uh, M&A activity as well where um, you know businesses are, are have to be sold have to be sold um, I think that is going to present more and more consolidation opportunities on on balance um, so uh, but as, as it was raised earlier just be, be warned about what your you're acquiring um, don't necessarily go for the first opportunity that crosses your desk. So, so I think, as, as Dowie says, you know, the the, the market might present uh, more opportunities in the carve outs. So, big corporates focusing on their core businesses and and uh, offloading non-core assets, which might then present a another opportunity for somebody else to consolidate that market. So um, the the, the two feet off each other, really. But I think we are going to be in a period, I think, on balance of of consolidation rather than fragmentation. I'd agree on that. I'll just pick up a slightly different point on the private company market. Um, I think you may have situations where two companies have been competing against each other for years and they think, actually, you know what, we just perhaps had enough now of, of competing, we might be stronger together. So you could have consolidation in that way as well, where you could actually see some merger, some sort of genuine mergers where maybe not a lot of cash changes hands, but companies come together. Um, and, and, I, and there has been evidence in the Southeast market uh, where I'm based, there's been one or two uh, of those transactions taking place already. Um, and that, you know we, we could see that as, as part of that consolidation play as well. 
Because are you seeing, Adrian, a lot of de-risking deals where perhaps business owners who have been through the mill emotionally, financially, are now looking to sort of share the load? Yeah, well, I think absolutely. So that, that could happen in the form I just said about those the companies merging together or actually taking some some cash off the table um, at this at this juncture. To the extent they have they have that and the ability to do that. So bringing your management team in and de-risking. Yeah, just just make the point though that if people are thinking about that and and concerned about that quite rightly um then that it does take time <laughs> you can't just go go and raise the money very quickly to do it to do a partial exit it, it it does take a lot of time to actually put that together and to get the best funding and the best pricing structure around that as well so again i i know we've mentioned it um before but preparation is key and 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 you know, even if you don't achieve the 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 deal that you you want to achieve at that time, the the work that you often do in terms of preparing a business either to raise finance or to to sell or to partially sell, is always. I mean, the feedback has always been very. You know, it's been an invaluable process around helping me understand my business and challenging me and my strategy, and finding some of the gaps that might have existed, uh, always existed, but not necessarily been recognized within the business and having that external sort of uh, view of 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 the business has always been very useful and do we think that deals the actual time it takes to complete them that that the amount of of energy blood sweat and tears that go into I mean, it was always been incredibly intense the, the experience of doing deals for business owners but is that even more so uh, post pandemic um should business owners expect for it to take even longer i mean what what should they be aware of uh, Dawi, I might bring you in here because you've, you've done quite a few deals um, in recent times. Have they have they taken longer? Have they been more arduous? So have they have they taken longer? I mean, de- de- deals are you know clearly always challenging to do um, because they are incredibly complex um, transactions. I think um, I think you know generally speaking, you know anything which sort of brings additional uncertainty into the overall sort of deal environment you know, is unlikely to speed up, should we say, um, the process. I, I would like to say that, you know, again, for a resilient business with a, you know, with a compelling proposition and strong management team, the deal is, you know, should not take markedly longer than it has done um, previously. I think where it's in a slightly more challenged sector um, and where, you know, the practicalities mean that, you know, you've not been able to, you know, that you've not been able to have the people on site, like the d- diligence providers, et cetera, um, you know, having the sort of interaction that you normally have, that just that just does have a slowing effect on the deal sort of cycle. Fundamentally, though, you know, it's all about just making sure that you're you, you surround yourself with the right advisors and making sure that you've planned. And we talked about preparation and Marcus and Adrian have talked about that. And that's incredibly important. I think if you prepare, 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 then ultimately you're going to be able to um, do it as, as, as swiftly as possible. Yeah, and I, th- I think your question is doing a deal at the moment more stressful. Um, I think there's different stresses because some of the different practicalities um, sort of coming down to the minutiae. I think if you're sat in front of a Zoom screen for for sort of 15 hours, it's incredibly tiring and and quite mentally sort of uh, challenging to, to do that rather than sitting around a table and thrashing out uh, issues. So I think there's some, some of the practical practicalities of it make it a bit more of a challenging process but I don't think it, it it doesn't 
ironically it can be shorter at the moment as well so arranging calls with people uh, face to face rather than having to arrange meetings with zoom or or teams um is is practically easier so therefore you can get to the to the hub of issues a bit quicker it's so there's there's conflicting sort of practicalities that are making deals different just executing deals differently uh, i think some add add to the stress levels uh, but i don't think uh, it's it's making deals take longer I'll just add to that sort of think actually there's a good case for just taking things at a nice easy pace and starting to develop relationships with prospective purchasers and then spending the time for them to get to know you and actually allowing your the results to come back sort of uh, post-COVID and actually by, by not rushing it maybe you get a better deal um, with, that, with those buyers and not pushing them in a position to make the offer too quickly um seeing seeing some of the key kpis in the business come back and you, you might actually get a a better deal you know you don't need to wait you know from delay it to next year or anything but just just not put it, it put a, a very specific timetable on if you don't have to uh, and you might end up with a, with a, a better deal executed for all parties uh, if, if by doing that yeah, I think the uh, the world has changed so significantly, um, and I think you know what we what we are seeing as well at the moment is that sort of management teams you know are looking for more than just capital. So I think I think it's really important that um, you know w- whenever you're talking about any transaction, be it trade or P, that that you understand what you get yourselves into and the sort of the relationship that you're going to have post deal, and 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 the plans for that business post deal as well, and and therefore um, that's but uh, and that's even more important now, I would say, given that you know we've seen the world change in all our previous plans and particularly in certain in certain sectors of all change what we always used to do is in you know in terms of sensitizing numbers <laughs> you know that you know you we never anticipated a pandemic so including those sort of things into into sort of um, um into the evaluation process is and, and into also understanding how um how how either p houses or trade operate when things are tough I think is in, is incredibly important to do, um, and I and I think also linked to that, it's it's probably understanding what what really they can provide in terms of value add, um, um, you know, and and how how that party, be it trade or P, can help you develop your business, um, you know, that that's something that we are sort of you know we've we we have been focused on for quite quite a long period of time. Um, but it's it's very much at the sort of forefront of our thinking. So we've got, a, you know, we've invested in a team called a value creation partners team, um, which is a team of specialists uh, focused on delivering shareholder value across the portfolio. So they, they cover things like digital marketing, um, t- uh, commercial excellence, operational improvements, technology procurement. These are things that, you know, we found that the portfolio benefits from if you provide some additional expertise. And I, and I do think now more than ever, you know, it is really important that, um, you know, when you're looking at a partner, you actually think about what they can actually do for you going forwards and the sort of relationship that you will be able to build with them. Uh, I'd echo that. And I think it often gets um, uh, overshadowed by by people's concerns over valuation, etc. I think that the most crucial thing is 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 around actually who you're going to be working with and the relationship that the working relationship that you can have with those parties going forward and especially i mean i think covid 19 has has brought that home where 
um, you really need to be working if 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 you're doing a, tra- a private equity type transactions and and you're going to be working together going forward. Um, you know, what's their track record of supporting businesses when things aren't quite going right? You know, and and some some have better um, reputations for that uh, than others. Uh, I've done a couple of private equity transactions in the last six months and. Yeah, I'm delighted to say, you know, uh, that that was an important part of 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 choosing which private equity house to go with. But also they've been incredibly supportive of those businesses through some pretty tough times um, and, and are coming out of the, the, the coming out of it now much stronger, but a much better. Uh, uh, well, I wouldn't say they had a bad relationship, but a very close relationship going forward. So I do think um, when deciding, you know, which partner to, to, to partner up with that not only the financial firepower not only the sort of technical expertise that they can bring but actually there's a personal relationship there as well can they they build on that and what is their their houses their house track record of supporting those businesses where things haven't quite gone to plan it sounds like uh, from these points that the old adage that's from crisis comes opportunity is certainly true, even in these strange times. So would you say as, as a final parting piece of advice, you know, should ambitious business owners, entrepreneurs, should they still try and execute on growth plans, even though, um, you know, the, the, the world is on fire? I mean, is that is that is that the advice, even though, you know, we, we, we've heard warnings about, you know, going slowly, not 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 jumping feet first. But but is that still the overriding message? I I would say so. I I think actually if you've got an ambitious, uh, you know, even in downturns, you know, there's always opportunities, and it's uh, it's it's usually the case that those that are the strongest and most um, ambitious and talented in their sector, no matter what sector it is, will always come out on top. Uh, so so I do think that you know you should take the opportunity to look at your business, look at your strategy going forward. Um, and I think there will be plenty of opportunities through M&A or other ways organically to to grow their businesses. And and I think take advantage of the fact that if finance is a, a, a limiting factor, there is a lot of finance available out there, um, whether it's private equity, whether it's venture capital, whether it's debt. And so do take advantage of that because those partners are really trying hard to invest that money. So, you know, together it can be a great opportunity. And I think for those that wish to exit their businesses and retire, I think um, I think you do have to look at sectors, the sector specifics at the moment. And it might be a timing issue. Um, I always hate that the the the, uh, the the tax tail to wag the dog, but capital gains tax and and the threat of that, you know, should be at least part of that factor in deciding on what to do. Yeah, I think that's exactly right, Mark. Um, I think if you've got a, you know, a strong business proposition, a point of difference, um, clear growth opportunities, and most importantly, from our perspective as a PE house, that you've got a very ambitious and capable management team to take things forward, then absolutely you should be looking at, you know, now to do a deal. Um, and the, the one thing that we've we've always consistently done is invested through the economic cycles because there are always opportunities across 
you know, the, the good times and the bad times. And therefore, if you've got the right plan in place and the right hunger from the management team, then absolutely go for it. I think if you're going to do an acquisition, just just absolutely make sure it's the it fits with your strategy, though. Make sure it's one that will really help add to shareholder value and not destroy it. And you made the point earlier about making sure you don't buy a distressed business and kill kill your business, kill your own business with that. But just make sure it, you know if it's the right company can really add value. And organic growth is going to be hard work over the next few few years. So. You know, to, if you need to grow and want to grow and grow value, then acquisitions, you know, absolutely, definitely should 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 be part of your strategy going forward. Great. I think this is a message of hope and quite a good place to stop. Um, thank you so much, Adrian, Mark and Dowie. You've been incredible guests today and I feel like you've brought such amazing insights about this whole issue and it's a complicated one. It's been wonderful talking to you all and thanks so much. Next week on Uncharted, The Road to Recovery, we'll be talking about growth funding and reviewing the landscape for those businesses who still have growth ambitions. How will their relationships with lenders change and how can they adapt to ensure they access and make the most of the funding available? Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts for the next episode to be automatically downloaded to your phone.